Okay, welcome to episode seven. Yeah, it's August 24th. August 24th, episode seven, here with Tyler, as always, and we brought Eric back in to chime in about a couple things, uh, talk about whatever's on his mind there. So, uh, just going to start the, the, the podcast off here with some trading. Yeah, crypto's in the toilet. Always. Yep. Seems so anyways, uh, recently. Circling the drain right now. Yeah, so uh, as promised, uh, I drew out a triangle, or like I guess you could say, I guess in this case it'd be a symmetrical triangle, because um, last week we were talking about chart patterns, and I said I'd, you know, uh, chart out a couple patterns and see if they do what they say they do. Okay, so this was uh, this was kind of in the middle of our conversation two weeks ago. Right, right. I uh, guess I missed last week's podcast. So. Yeah, we had Dino on last week. So the the idea, as I recall it, is that you were going to use a method of drawing a triangle on the current prices in order to predict a future price, basically. Right. So uh, in the description, I'll link a I'll link a published drawn out triangle. But pretty much, uh, if you can click on that link there, Tyler, uh, yeah. you can see. I know, I know I had a hard time describing what it was all about last time we talked about this, but you can see there's two low points that kind of make the bottom edge of the triangle or wedge, whatever you want to call it. And then you got two high prices that make the top edge of the triangle. And so you can kind of see price con consolidating within this triangle. And then what you're looking for essentially is for it to break up or down out of the triangle. And you can see pretty clearly here that once it breaks below this bottom edge of the triangle, that it just tends to go down. So, I mean, as soon as that happens, you can open up a short, right? Okay, so just uh, for anyone who doesn't have the photograph that we're talking about open right now, I'm just going to kind of describe what this method looks like. So essentially what's going on is we're looking at the uh, pricing chart uh, with candles uh, over a set period of time. And what we're trying to do is to pick two high points and two low points over the same period of time. And for each of those sets of points, so between two high points and also between two low points, we draw a line on the graph. And those lines eventually intersect. And at the point where they intersect, you cut it off and you essentially get a wedge shape. And what, what Arthur's saying here is that if the pricing chart deviates from the inside of that wedge, um, so it, it, it exits kind of that closing set of lines. That's an indicator that the price is going to like change again after that very quickly. Is that correct? Well, it's going to continue. So here you could see as soon as a candle closes outside of this wedge, well, then it's going to continue down, right? So in this case, you have about 60 from 6,400 down all the way to 62.50, right? So in between that time, you can open up a short and set your stop losses accordingly, which for anyone that's not familiar with stop losses, it's kind of a preset command you can set within, um, let's say you're using BitMEX, for example, which is a margin, margin trading application, web application that you can use. And a stop loss is pretty much saying, okay, well, if, if you're opening a short, for example, you can say, okay, price is dropping and from 6,400, let's say it drops to 6,300. Well, I'm going to put a stop loss at 6,350. 
So if price does come back up to that point, then it'll be an automatic closing of your short at that point. And same kind of idea with long, right? And uh, the idea is once it breaks out of this wedge, you can keep moving your stop loss down to kind of maximize your profits, right? And then obviously you're safe at a certain point, whatever your stop loss is at. And then uh, in this case, uh, for anyone, you can, you can follow along. We'll have the link to this uh, screenshot here. But in this case, it, it comes back up, right? So uh, Yeah, so just to illustrate again what this looks like, right, right at noon, uh, the price starts to take a dive. This is on the 20th. Right. Right at noon, the price starts to take a dive, and it starts around 6500 and it falls all the way down to about 6300 a couple hours later. And uh, so I guess what you're saying is that if you're watching this chart, you could very quickly predict that it was going to change and jump on that change really quick, right? Right. Um, but then what happens is by the time 11 o'clock or midnight rolls around, the price surges again. Right. Right. And by the time it's like the morning of the 21st, it's almost back up to its 6,500. It's at 60, it's at 6,450 the next day. Right. So really what's contingent here is that you're paying attention and you're, you're ready to jump on that change as it happens. Right. No, definitely. And you have to, right. And, um, And so a, a stop loss, it, it, let's say you opened up a short as soon as it broke out of this triangle. Well, then a stop loss would prevent you from losing out on that, right? So if you put a stop loss at 6,300, uh, then it would, it would close at that point, right? And uh, you would be safe. It, you'd, make, you'd take your profits on the short and you'd be safe from the surge back up, which is a good thing, right? And then you'd, you'd go and you'd look for your next pattern, whatever that may be. Yeah, I see. Um, something else I wanted to talk about, actually, uh, and this was linked in our Slack channel, was uh, the CNBC Bitcoin indicator of uh, whatever they... Is this on Twitter? Uh, I think these are CNBC's tweets about Bitcoin. Right, so CNBC's tweets about Bitcoin. Um, so it's an interesting chart. Uh, and it kind of, so this will also be linked in our podcast and pretty much every time they have some sort of positive news about Bitcoin, it does the opposite. The price does the opposite, which is really interesting. And it's a, what is this? A 95% accuracy when it comes to these tweets about Bitcoin. So just for an example, we had, uh, back in December, when it was at 20,000 chart master Carter worth whoever that is says today's crypto crush could actually be your best chance to buy Bitcoin. And this was at the very top. They are telling people to buy Bitcoin and then obviously it comes down and anytime they're saying, Hey, it's uh, it's looking grim for Bitcoin. It tends to go up. So, uh, this could be a new indicator that people could use. And I think I, I honestly, I might, uh, I might give this a go myself. Yeah. Just to, just to give a couple of the details outside of their article here. Um, basically what they're saying is that a bearish tweet from CNBC, uh, typically tends to give you something like a 30% return. Um, and in the other direction, uh, a bullish tweet typically, uh, typically tends to indicate that the market is more bearish. So, Definitely, uh, definitely interesting that CNBC is able to consistently get it wrong. Um, the chart that we're looking at is on TradingView as well, and it claims that uh, using 
CNBC as a contraindicator gives a 95% accuracy, <laughs> which I think is better than any other method that exists right now. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe uh, maybe they know a little more than they're letting on. I, I also wonder if it's not like uh, self-fulfilling. Like I wonder if people aren't like, oh, CNBC said to, said to buy, so we should probably sell. If that makes sense. I mean. Like I wonder if it's reactionary. In the various groups that I'm in, uh, there's a lot of talk about manipulation and mass manipulation, right? And so, and obviously there's like conspiracies kind of surrounding like the price of Bitcoin and where it's going to go. And so I know a lot of people say that when mass media is kind of hopping on this whole Bitcoin train and they're talking about it, they're, that people think that they're trying to mislead the public in which way the price is going to, you know, c close those longs or close those shorts and make people get liquidated, right? Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I guess what you're saying is right in the sense that people react on the contrary to what CNBC is saying. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's kind of funny, right? And who knows if if these conspiracy theories or whatever are right that you know, oh, you know, the mass media is getting involved, so and they're saying whatever, and the opposite happens. I don't know. What's well, it? It's a bit like when uh, I can't remember who the story is about, but um, before the uh, the big crash, uh, like the Great Depression. Um, some famous investor said something like, I knew I should get out of the stock market when my cab driver started giving me investing advice. Well, I guess that means that there's too many people involved. Maybe. Uh, it's, it's hard to say, right? Like the situations are far enough between that. I don't think you could ever really set up like a very specific set of rules to follow to say, oh, we're going to have a crash based on these factors. Um, especially if your factors are cab drivers giving you advice is not really a measurable metric, but it's kind of like, it's interesting to see some of those patterns sort of appearing uh, where you've got all these, especially this spring uh, where we saw all sorts of like attention from, from mass media and the public in general and kind of a lot of misinformation. I, I think that that's kind of indicative of just the culture of it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to butt in and say that in the second week of January, I went to see my doctor and he asked me what I was doing. And so I talked about the work we're doing at Membran. And the first thing he asked me is whether or not he should buy Bitcoin. <laughs> and that was in the second week of January. Yeah. And I, I had a little chuckle at that, just thinking back to, yeah, the, the famous trope about your cab driver or your, your, uh, your like waiter asking you about, <laughs> about buying stocks. Yeah, it's not it's not really a good sign, right? Like it's uh, if you're in that situation, then how do you how do you beat all those people? And um, Warren Buffett, and for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, most people I feel that are involved in investing, I, I think everyone knows who Warren Buffett is. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, he says we simply attempt to be fearful when others are greedy, and to be greedy only when others are fearful, right? So that also falls back on the whole doctor and cab driver kind of situation there, right? It's just yeah. Like, Hey, you know, people are trying to make a profit off this thing. So, hey, maybe we should sell. And, uh, and maybe now's the time. You know, there's a lot of people there's that are lot, fearful. There's and there's a lot, a lot of doubt. doubt. There's know, a maybe, lot of doubt. Maybe now is the time to, 
to get into it. That said, if um, if we say, oh, everyone's afraid, everybody buy crypto now, and then it crashes really horribly and then never returns, we're going to be in trouble. So Yeah, so disclaimer again, not financial <laughs> not advice. Not financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, obviously the, this kind of method takes a lot of patience, right? It, yeah, I mean, especially with what you're talking about with these various ways of looking at the current conditions and trying to predict, like, in the next few hours what the market's going to do. Um, th- those are always going to be kind of low margins, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a way to maximize your gains, you know, and if you're if, if you're feeling very confident in your trading strategy is to go on something like BitMEX and margin trade, right? So you can you can take, for example, $10.00. You can margin trade it to ten times your money, so then you're trading as if you had a hundred dollars. Oh, you make that right? sound really easy. <laughs> oh, it's not easy at all because uh, it's actually kind of risky. Because, well, now what you're saying is, hey, I'm putting up ten dollars. I'm playing with a hundred dollars. However, now if the market drops ten percent, well, now you lose your whole hundred dollars, or sorry, your whole ten dollars. And that's what's called getting liquidated. Yeah. You know, because really all you have is $10 backing that $100, right? So if if you lose 10% on the yeah. price of Bitcoin, well, then that's all you have backing it. So the the exchange, BitMEX in this case, would take that whole $100 to cover the losses, right? Yeah. So it's risky, but there's a lot of upside. Yeah. If you can predict it right, well, then, you know, you can leverage your money, essentially and uh maximize your gains but you know not recommending it for any any beginners that's for sure yeah so kind of uh, apart from the market then but sort of in the same uh, in the same relationship uh we had this article on our slack come up um from bitcoin.com and uh the title is over 60 percent of top 100 cryptocurrencies have no working product um Eric's just asking where we found it. I don't remember. This is this is the second time that you've talked about articles on a Slack, but I haven't seen any of these articles. I don't know. They they've they've <laughs> been they've been going around somewhere. Uh, they're they're probably in our private one. Um, yeah, yeah. It there. looks like David uh, posted it in our private tech Slack. So here, I'll send it over to you. Eric. Yeah, we'll we'll share that on the uh, Vic blockchain. Um, but the the study that they they talk about here basically says that. 60% of cryptocurrencies that are supposedly creating a product have nothing to show for it. Which is, uh, I don't know. It seems a bit sad, right? It's weird. And uh, I think it's just these people kind of uh, hoping that, let's say maybe a couple of years down the road, they will have a working product and it will surge the price, right? That's that's kind of this whole crypto space, right? Everybody's hoping that something will come of it to maximize their profits, right? Yeah, sure enough. What about things that launched in like 2016, though? Like what? Um, I mean, this article specifically mentions uh, an application called Dash, Dash. Uh, which I've I've never heard of, but apparently Dash has been out for a while. I've heard good things about Dash. I've never really looked into it, but I know there's been a lot of buzz. In in the past, anyways. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they're a uh, a digital currency, um, and they have been 
out for a while because the charts on their website are pretty... Uh, yeah, it looks like they started January 2015, uh, maybe December. So in almost three years. They still don't have anything? They still don't have a working product, apparently. <laughs> so it does kind of make you wonder. And I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to attack Dash. I don't know enough. I haven't looked into them, but that's the example that this site gives. Um, it definitely kind of makes you think, like, if that's the success rate that we're going to see on these cryptocurrencies, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the really big Kickstarter craze that happened a few years ago. Okay. Where people were really excited about this idea that they could support a product from the ground and, you know, get something they want and all, all that sort of thing. And what ended up happening was that a bunch of people who really shouldn't have been running companies ended up being in charge of a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of capital with no experience and no real plan. And uh, that obviously didn't work out very well for lots of people. And it kind of seems like a lot of these cryptocurrency projects are going the same way. Now, is there any legal repercussions to something like that? Um, that's kind of hard to say, right? So if you look at it like an investment, if you were to start like a corner store and you got some family members to invest some money in your corner store to help you buy the place and you ran it into the ground because you're not good at running a business, are you legally liable for that money? Uh, sure enough. But do you necessarily have any like criminal repercussions? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, obviously, if you if you do something, if you if you say use that money to commit fraud or something like that, that's a whole different issue. Right. But um, I think that's a lot of what's going on in the States right now is trying to figure out how they're actually supposed to regulate these projects. Right, right, right. Right. Because you could make the argument that when the company gives you the coins, like you, you've paid, you've received your product. Yeah. They've fulfilled their side of the bargain. Yeah. Right. And oftentimes it's kind of, it's implied that the product is inevitable, if that makes sense. Or it's presented in such a way that you think, oh, you know, they're selling these coins. This is going to happen. But in reality, I think a lot of them don't even really have a sturdy foundation to work off of. Like they aren't even sure how they're going to accomplish their goals. So. Yeah, no. And I honestly think that in the future, if this whole cryptocurrency thing takes off and sticks, that a lot of these coins are just going to die out, right? It will be really interesting to see kind of the effects of this huge uh, bubble in ICOs and kind of trading coins and things like that. Because, again, if it's only 35% of, of coin offerings that actually become successful, that's going to very quickly turn the public off of investing in them. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's even a high percentage as it is. Yeah. I mean, that's not even successful. That's just uh, of the top 100 cryptos, which ones actually have a working product yeah right not not taking into account anything about whether or not they actually get used i mean i've seen no uh, and i forget who who the famous actor was but i've seen because really all you need for these icos is you need someone to develop a nice looking website yeah and someone to put a bunch of faces to a bunch of names uh in terms of the team right yeah and like I said, I don't remember who the actor was, but there was actually like a famous actor that was posted as one of the one of the team members as uh, part of some coin, right? Yeah. And it's just like, 
you know, they're just kind of like pulling pictures off of Google images and <laughs> yeah. Like what, even if that person was involved, like what value is that person adding to your tech team? Maybe. Right. I mean, as a spokesperson, maybe, but I mean, to the te technology side of it, like forget it. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it's interesting to see. I'm really going to be interested in a few years to look back and say like, you know, did it turn out to be a successful experiment or was it in general a lot of scams and not a lot of uh, value? Speaking of scams, uh, yeah. did, did you see that uh, FOMO 3D paid out? Yeah, someone, I heard that someone like attacked, made, made like some sort of an attack to uh, to clog up the transactions. Yeah, and, uh, clogged up the transactions in order to win. Yeah. Interesting, hey? 10,000 or something ETH, a little over 10,000 ETH. Yeah, so what's that, a couple million dollars? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. That's, <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good prize for a little exploit there. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's a lot more uh, a lot more lucrative than uh, being like a bug bounty hunter. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. That that to me also like that seems like that. Uh, that's like a form of lottery fraud, right? Is it? I mean, cheating to win. Could be. I mean, it's an unregulated space. So is it? Is it lottery fraud? Yeah, no, I don't think any. I don't think that they'll actually be able to pursue it. But it, that is like the spirit of that sort of fraud prevention. Right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot that we are going to let that happen. Uh, if you listen to our podcast, you know, maybe week two that we talked about it. Um, at the time, we weren't very positive about FOMO three D, and I, I know that I personally still am not. I still think that it's a pyramid scheme, but. Um, I guess that's uh, that's something people are willing to accept for the sake mm -hmm. of playing this game, and it, it's a little it's almost surreal because you see people commenting on it on things like Reddit or like on a Discord channel, and they're all like stoked about it. I mean, uh, the idea is kind of funny, I guess. So I actually I actually forget. So did people actually get paid out? Like the early investors, did they get paid out? Small percentages as it went on, or I, I think that's the idea that they get paid out as the thing advances, and then at the end of it, the jackpot goes to the last person who bought a ticket. Okay, so well, good for them, I guess. Uh, I mean, yeah, good for them for figuring out the system and uh, beating it, but yeah, yeah, I don't love that. That's the thing, that's exactly what um, what smart contracts are supposed to be preventing, right? Yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, if you can if you can exploit that by just spamming the network and I, the the number that i saw was something like twenty thousand dollars that he would have had to spend in order to exploit this right right I, I say he that this person would have had to spend but did they exploit the smart contract or the actual network you i was under I mean? the impression that it was the network yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's not a flaw of the smart contracts in themselves it's a... well it's not a flaw of the smart contract like it might not it might not be like technically a programming error mm -hmm. but it does kind of expose that it's not a it's not a flawless system even yeah. today right like yeah um, there are vectors for attack that are not necessarily immediately obvious. Well, for something like that, I, I mean, that's a that's a whole unique situation. Like, when will every when is it ever profitable to spend twenty thousand to clog up the network to make you know a couple million or whatever yeah. it was, right? Like, that's rarely ever the case. But I mean, that's uh, that's a situation where maybe we need to have people who are knowledgeable enough about this environment that they could say, oh. What if someone did clog up the network at the right time, right? And th those are things that are all going to have to be considered by the security industry in the next few years as we get into these. Because 
in this case, it's a stupid game that's kind of being ripped off, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't think this is ultimately going to be like everyone who played this game knew that they didn't have a great chance of winning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that some of them probably feel cheated because like, as you would, but ultimately everyone who played was knowingly risking their money. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a gamble, right? Yeah. I just did some reading while you guys were talking, and I found a block um, which people are speculating was part of the uh, the strategy for winning FOMO 3D. Um, and in this block, there are only five transactions. For those of you uh, reading, <laughs> trying to find this, it's a block 6,191,908. There's only five transactions. And two of the transactions have a fee of around 1.5 Ether paid for it that's a lot of bones do you want to give me that uh the number again six one nine one nine zero eight one nine one zero eight yeah speculated that this is the play that won fomo 3d wow yeah that's a lot that's a lot of bones and um also note that both of those transactions um that are over one ether in terms of fee and there's also one that's 0.9 um, they all actually failed uh, with the uh, the error code, bad instruction. So they weren't even intended to like change the state at all. Their their intention, I believe, was just to uh, monopolize the transactions. Just run out the clock, hey? Yeah, run out the clock. Man, that's uh, that's interesting. And who, they're they're from different addresses, obviously, and they're all going towards this one contract, right? That uh. I don't know. Maybe. That's that's fascinating. I think that that's uh, that's a real threat for smart contract developers. You know, there's things that aren't necessarily in your control as the developer that you still need to account for. No, definitely, definitely. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and and I I imagine that going forward we're gonna see more more exploitations of various networks, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that as soon as you build a better security system, the world just builds a better hacker, right? <laughs> yeah, people are smart, that's for sure. Yeah. Some people, anyways. Okay, so w- what other news do we have? Um, uh, we got... Did you read the article about uh, Loom Network's uh, plasma chain? I did not. Okay, so just to, just to summarize, um, Loom Network is the company that built the crypto zombies platform so what they do is uh they're focused on side chains and the variations there so if you're familiar with plasma plasma is a type of side chain implementation for ethereum Um, i don't really want to get too deep into the details of it but basically this article is just talking about how loom has actually managed to build a production application um it's called zombie battleground uh using uh, sidechains. So that's pretty exciting news for us. Um, the fact that they've actually managed to implement it and get it working. Now, they did say that it took them a lot of work. Um, they said they've got a 70-member 70, 70 team. So wow. maybe a little bit out of reach of the average uh, developer at this time. But um, it's good to see that at least someone's been able to put together an implementation of a sidechain application that works. Yeah. Uh, uh, the whole game takes a hundred percent takes place a hundred percent on the blockchain and is totally transparent to the end user, which is quite a feat actually. The fact that 
you know, you don't have these wait times in between uh, interactions with the application. Then it just feels like a, you know, like any app you download from, for example, the Apple App Store. That's uh Yeah, you don't have cool. to worry about MetaMask. You don't have to worry about the wait times. You don't have to worry about trying to make sure that your users are on the right chain. Like that sort of stuff is all, all real challenges. So to, to have someone out there with a, um, a real implementation, uh, it's pretty impressive. No, definitely. That's, I'm, I'm that's pretty cool. stoked about that. So that, that game's called Zombie Battleground. So if you're interested, I mean, I guess you could go check it out. It's like a trading card game, right? So it's not really up my alley, but I am excited that the blockchain gaming kind of trend is taking off here because I've always kind of thought that would be the first the the first kind of landfall for like side chains. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Right on. Well, 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 what else we got here? Finally, the uh, head of the wh- whoever was the head in Asia there um, of BitConnect. So uh, the, the the founder, um, the Wh- whoever was in charge of BitConnect. Yeah. Well, the head of Ponzi scheme BitConnect in Asia arrested at Delhi Airport. So he was the Asian director. Of the Ponzi scheme, I guess. Yeah. So when you're saying Asian director, you're talking about the like region of the Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, so he finally got arrested in India. And uh, that's great. And for (laughs) because BitConnect was easily the biggest scam uh, that I have ever seen. It was essentially a Ponzi scheme. And just to give you an idea, it promised 40% monthly returns. Uh and that's just that's just crazy. I mean, how could how could anybody guarantee those kinds of returns? Yeah, they did give us one thing though. That was really great. The video, the uh the Carlos <laughs> Matos presentation. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, it's wonderful. He comes out on stage, he's screaming and does a, you know, like a little dance thing. Oh yeah. It's pretty uh, it's pretty wonderful. We'll include a link. Yeah, um, definitely uh, include a link there. Um, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you happy. Yeah, for sure. If you're having a bad day, watch the little Carlos Matos raving about BitConnect. You're gonna you're gonna cheer right up. You know, I know. Sometimes I'd run into the office and uh, maybe hello, good morning. You know? <laughs> yeah. Get get everyone's spirits up. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, do we have any other crypto news? Oh, geez, I don't know. What's the list think, of crypto uh, news here? I don't think so. I think that that's our crypto news for the day. Yeah. Where do you, where do you get most of your crypto news from, Art? Where do I get mine? Um, yeah. I, have a, I have a Slack channel that I'm involved in uh, called the Crypto Syndicate. And uh, I don't know if they're openly extending invites anymore, but I got in pretty early. So there's just a bunch of people talking uh, trading styles, news, and stuff like that. So that, that's, that's where I look to. And uh, obviously, they get their links from various sources, so... That's like my main source, and obviously that source extends to other sources. So yeah, so you just use that group as kind of like a filter for you. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, totally. I kind of do the same thing with with like even the Vic blockchain Slack. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, some people that you know have like some sort of uh, some sort of idea of what to look for and what's going on, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to read all the content that comes out, right? Mm-hmm. There's too much uh, too much that's being written to follow all of it yourself, so. What about uh, you, Eric? You got anything on your mind over there? On my mind? Yeah, all right, you got to give him the microphone if you ask him a question. Oh, yeah. 
Sorry, I was actually not focused on the uh, the last few minutes of your conversation. Uh, we're, we're just talking about how we find uh, news about crypto. Oh, I just get it from you guys for the most part. Yeah, I gotta you, say, you depend uh, on us. <laughs> I guess I I probably don't do nearly as much um, searching, like solo searching for news as other people. Um, but I don't know. I'm in a, quite a few Slack channels and a couple of Discords, and that's usually where I just get all my news from. Yeah, I find if you. Uh, if you're able to contribute to conversations, it's really it's really easy to kind of like find news because people will bring it to you, right? Right. As that's been my experience, at least, is that if uh, if you're in a channel and you have something interesting to say, like the news kind of just starts popping up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I'd say most of my reading is is uh, generally focused on um, more like instructionals. Is that a word? Yeah. Instructionals. Uh, yeah. I think everyone knows what that means. Yeah, like articles where somebody's just explaining how you do something. I spent a lot of time reading those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's a big part of of my workflow too. Like with working with decentralized applications, like there's so much stuff that is different from the way that I'm used to things working. Mm-hmm. That uh, if people weren't making these tutorials, it would be pretty challenging to really kind of figure it all out on your own. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm sure that you're the same way with a lot of, uh, like you you've been running nodes this week, right? Yeah, actually, I didn't post about that in the Slack, but yesterday um, I stayed here late at the office and I got the uh, the Ethereum node working, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, didn't have a single problem actually. <laughs> the entire construction and the uh, software startup and all that went perfectly smoothly, and the things already uh, already kind of that's a bit suspicious chugging away. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What are we at? Makes me a little nervous, actually. Synchronized up to 2.4 million. 2.4 million. So yeah. you're almost halfway. <laughs> I guess so. Almost halfway. <laughs> I, I promise it's going to take more than two days, though. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's the size of it at now? Do you know? 53 gigabytes. 53 gigabytes. So, I mean, that's actually not bad. You're only going to have a couple hundred gigabytes at the end, right? Oh, no. It's going to be over a terabyte. Is it really? Yeah. Do they do they get that much more data in them? As Definitely. They, really? Okay. Definitely. Yeah, they do. I guess um, I guess the first few million probably don't have much in them at all, hey? Yeah, I guess that's it. Well, it'll be interesting to see that, and maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe it won't be as big as you think. I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe I should record the uh, the block number as well when I uh, when I record the uh, database size. But no, that's a that, that, I'll think that, about that later. That could be interesting, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it like would little, be, but I think it's now that it, it grows. it's a bit too late to do that. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit late to jump in, but would have been cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, the other thing that's been on my mind recently is that uh, I've got a big uh, family event this weekend that I've had to plan for a little bit. Um, so that's the uh, the uh, Cactus Jack mini golf extravaganza. <laughs> it's been pretty exciting on my mind. <laughs> so that's like a that's a family tradition, right? Yeah, well, and it's more than family. Family and friends, um, about like 30 or 40 people come every year. My dad hosts a mini golf tournament, and right now it's the 29th annual Cactus Jack mini golf extravaganza. Um, And uh, I had to do a little bit of planning this week because I am yellow team captain. So on Wednesday night, I had to go to the official draft, and I drafted players onto my team. (laughs) So how how many players do you get on a team? I I believe I have eight or nine players. and they all have, each player has like a rating based on their three-year average. Okay. <laughs> Those that don't have three-year averages are just given a rating from my, from my father. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a pretty goofy event. That sounds fun. 
We got a, we've got like a whole handful of trophies. There's probably like 10 or 20 trophies that go out for some statistical things like holes and ones or other just like random categories. There's one famous trophy we had for a long time called the, uh, the Ian Armstrong Broken Hand Award. <laughs> uh, and it came when uh, a competitor in the last, the final nine holes of the final round um, exclaimed that he would have to break a hand at this point to lose the tournament. And then he proceeded to lose the tournament. <laughs> uh, and he got a, a trophy from Valley Village with the hand broken off. <laughs> and it's been around ever since. <laughs> I believe that was probably in like the first five years of the tournament. So that one's a real tradition at this point. <laughs> that's, that's funny. What, what do you think? How many people are going to attend? I think this year there's like, I think uh, a little bit over 30. Over 30. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like fun. That sounds like a fun event. Yeah, we play five uh, five rounds. The uh, there's a round on tonight. Uh, it's kind of considered an exhibition, but it's like a team event. Um, and then the the real competition starts tomorrow morning. We uh, we play two rounds tomorrow. I believe we start at um, Blankensop, and then we go to Maddox Farm. And then tomorrow or on Sunday, we play another two rounds. Uh, we go to the Alfon course out by Western Speedway, and then we play the uh, Langford City Centre course. <laughs> Near the uh, the soccer fields in Langford. So that's four different courses, right? Oh, five different courses. Because tonight courses. we're playing uh, Island View out on the uh, the Pat Bay Highway. Ah, uh, so it's a it's a real serious event. Yeah, well, that's one of the funniest parts about this mini golf tournament is that uh, like I tell you, it's it's hard to play five mini golf courses over three days and like and like stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have the best focus in the world, but it's it's pretty funny to watch. Um, to watch people who were new, I guess, to the tournament, and you want to do well. It's mini golf, right? Like you're yeah. gonna you're gonna try to shoot well, but like putting that many balls in one weekend, it's uh, it'll get to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that uh, regular golfers would probably say the same about uh, you know playing that many rounds. <laughs> Coming for Tiger's head, hey? Yeah, I never played much golf growing up, um, but golfers are generally upset about my putting abilities because <laughs> I'll tell you, I've played a lot of mini golf. <laughs> That's funny. I've got a lot of patience on the greens. Yeah. Um, what about you, Art? You doing anything exciting this weekend? I have zero plans. Zero plans, free weekend, catch up in your sleep. Exactly, man. You complaining about that? Yeah, that last week uh, back in Ontario, you know, even though it was a vacation, it, uh, a lot of running around, like no days of rest, literally. Yeah. Uh, visiting family, visiting friends. Uh, me and Sarah, we went to Niagara Falls and then we went to Canada's Wonderland and uh, just in general, a lot, a lot, a lot of things happening. So uh, it was a vacation. It was nice to go, but it was... A lot of hustle bustle, so. Yeah, lots going on, so you're just looking for a weekend off. Exactly, man. Just, like, lay on the couch and not think about anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if it works for you. Yeah, no, I know you're not the type. You always got to be doing something, but I could lay there, you know. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know. Maybe isn't the best uh, best thing to say publicly. <laughs> 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 I, I think everyone will forgive you for having a little nap on Sunday. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Tyler? I guess uh, you're flying home tonight. Yeah, flying home tonight, and then I'll be driving back down early next week. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna see a little less of you 
uh, on the podcast going forward, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to be around as much as possible, but I think I'll be somewhere between the ferry terminal in Vancouver and the Fraser Canyon next week. Okay. So I'm not going to make next week's podcast. Okay. Um, I don't think, unless something changes. But uh, after that, I'm going to try to be on uh, every week. Yeah, for sure. Let's keep this thing going. Well, we'll we'll give it a shot. Anyways, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, So I think in that case, uh, I had a couple buddies from back home that are actively involved in crypto that I think I might bring on. Yeah, bring Uh, some guests. Yeah, bring on uh, someone for a phone call. and. uh, I'm sure Dino would love to come back on too. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It's just, uh, you know, sometimes I feel a little intimidating. Talk, talking with Dino. <laughs> I don't know why he's like, he's an okay guy to talk to. It's just, I don't know, he's my boss. So there's that intimidation factor, I guess. Uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit scared there. Yeah, a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sure he'll take it easy on you. Don't worry. <laughs> no, he was, he was easy to interview. I think he'd be fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, um, I guess for this week then, uh, that's that's all we brought to the table. So, yeah, just a nice a nice short one, uh, relatively, yeah. anyways. Yeah, after last week's, we figured uh, we try not to uh, drag on for too long. So, how long was last week's podcast? Do you know? Man, I think it was like an hour forty five or something oh, crazy no, it, like that. I'm looking at it now. It was an hour ten. Hour ten. Okay. So it wasn't too bad, but you know, it was it was lengthy. So we'll uh, we'll cut this one a little bit short, and uh, hopefully everyone has a good weekend. Yeah, take it easy, everybody. Yeah. Uh, if you guys are in any of the uh, forest fire affected areas in BC here, you know, hopefully some of the wind this weekend will come in and uh, clear the air for you. Yeah, I know. Breathe it, a little it, easier. It just cleared up in Victoria, so hopefully everybody else kind of gets a little bit of relief too. Yep, can see the sun for the first time in a week and a half. Yeah, it's not so hazy out there. Yeah, eh? it's nice. Uh, I'd like to, as always, thank our guest Eric for coming in and. Uh, you know, giving us two cents. It's always nice to have a different point of view and just, uh, you know, some, some some other opinions for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, since we're here, when's the next meetup? Is it the third? Art's giving me hand gestures here. 29? Jordan's doing one. So next the, Wednesday. Yeah, next Wednesday, the 29th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, Jordan McKinney. Um, do you know what he's going to talk about? Yeah, he's uh, he's bringing up some critical points on Bitcoin, I believe. Okay, so that should actually be really interesting if you're interested in, in Bitcoin. and um, he, He's actually really knowledgeable about how <laughs> a lot of that stuff works. Yeah, I trust uh, that Jordan's criticism will be... Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to listen to, I'm sure. I wish I could be here for it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not going <laughs> to... I, uh, I don't expect him to show up and say, <laughs> "I don't like Bitcoin." <laughs> yeah, no, he'll he'll be here. He'll be ready. He's a he's a man that I trust for some good criticism. Yeah, so definitely, uh, definitely, if you're interested, come and see that because that'll be a good talk. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good weekend, and uh, some of us will see you next week. See you later. <laughs>